Today, we are going to continue looking at this um, series called Heart and Soul. And, and really, we're looking at what does it look like for us as a church going forward. We've spent a lot of time in the last, uh, really, year and a half, two years talking about um, God transitioning us and now feeling like God's leading us into this transformation, this time where the church begins to look somewhat different to begin to function the way God designed us to function. And so we're going to continue talking about that today. Um, first of all, where does heart and soul come from? Talked about this a little bit last week. If you've been around, you've heard this many times. But 1 Samuel 14, when um, Philip, um, or Jonathan, I'm sorry, um, King Saul's son is going up to attack some Philistines. Um, he turns to his armor bearer. He's going up. He sees he's outnumbered, but he realizes that um, if they go, God may be with them is what he says. And so he looks at his armor bearer. He tells him what he's planning to do. And his armor bearer tells him, do all you have in mind for I'm with you, heart and soul. And so we realize this is what God's called the church to. This is what God's called the church to be, is to be heart and soul not with Connection Church, but with God's church, the, the mission of God that he's called us to as believers. And so we're gonna continue unpacking what the mission of God looks like, but also our part in that mission. And so we're gonna keep talking about um, that this morning. Last week, we looked at uh, this reality that we can't be heart and soul if we're not um, together, one. And, and we talked about this, uh, throw this up here real quick, that proximity is a privilege. We talked about the privilege of being able to come into proximity or nearness to God. We talked about the privilege of being able to have proximity to one another, even though that looks really different for us now than it ever has before, that we can come into proximity with one another and begin to um, uh, demonstrate and declare the goodness of God to the world. And so we recognize that, that proximity is a privilege. Um, today, I want to talk uh, about something a little bit different, and that is that proximity has a purpose. Okay, so this, this privilege we have of drawing near to God, this privilege we have of drawing near to one another, there, there's a purpose in this. Um, there's a purpose in this, and so we're going to look at that this morning. Um, we're going to start out in Acts chapter 11. Um, if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 11. Um, and I just want to read a few verses, then we're going to pray, and, and we'll get going with the message. So Acts chapter 11. So we're picking up in Acts where the gospel has now begun to go out into the world for a long time. Um, the gospel of, of, the, of Christ, this good news about Jesus had stayed in Jerusalem with the apostles and that first church that was in Jerusalem. Now, after the stoning of Stephen, Stephen was um, what a lot of people would refer to as an early deacon in the church. He was, the Bible says, full of the Holy Spirit. He um, was really um, living for God. He he was serving God. He was serving the church. He was stoned because of his faith and the declaration of the gospel. After that, pe the, the people began to scatter. And so um, we're picking up in 11 now. The, the gospel's going out. And in uh, Acts 11, verse 19, we're going to read about where it ends up going to this city called Antioch. And it says in verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecuting that broke out when Stephen was killed 
traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So there's this move of God that's taking place in Antioch. Um, the people are coming to know Christ. The gospel's being preached. It says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas, um, Barnabas is, was a, he's really a underrated or underrecognized leader in the early church. Barnabas, without Barnabas, a lot of things would not have happened. The way God used Barnabas was um, a catalyst to the early church. But then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, this is Saul who was converted on the road to Damascus. He later becomes known as Paul, um, the greatest missionary the world's ever seen in carrying the gospel to the world. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and your truth this morning that we can magnify you. We can magnify the Lord. We can magnify Jesus. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who God is here right now, that you, God, are here. You are present. Make us more aware of your presence, Lord. Make us more aware, more sensitive to your voice. Help us to hear your voice today. Make us alert. Awaken your church, God, to hear your voice and follow your leading. God, speak to us. I, I pray, Lord, that even now we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says, that even now I would have ears to hear what you are saying and how you are leading this church, Lord, and, and the words you want to speak. Guard my heart and my tongue, Lord, that the only words that would be spoken are things that are glorifying and pleasing and led by you, Lord. God, encourage us and challenge us today to go out to be the church you've created us to be, God. Lord, that, that this would be something that, that's not just a part of our life, but it is our life, God. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, how many of you have ever heard the phrase pipe dream? Anybody ever heard the phrase pipe dream? Yeah. Anybody know where that actually came from? Yeah, I didn't either until I looked it up this week. Um, so pipe dream actually comes out of the late 1800s, and it referred to dreams that people would have when they had been smoking an opium pipe. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it, but um, anyway... Some of you had pipe dreams, let me say that. Um, and, and so I didn't realize, but it kind of makes sense, right? When we think about somebody saying, well, that's a pipe dream. It's something that's so far out there that people think there's no way that's going to happen, right? There's no way this is going to happen. And so we say that's a pipe dream. Um, well, I want to read to you just some thoughts I had this week as I was praying and jotting down some things. I want to read to you what some people would consider 
a pipe dream. I want to read this to you. That, and it's about the church. It's about who the church can become, who the church was designed to become. And so I have this, this pipe dream, I guess, is what some people would call it. But I can see the church becoming this, that it's no longer the most segregated place in the world that thousands upon thousands of people are regularly professing their faith in Jesus and being baptized around the world, that cycles of poverty are broken, that families are put back together, that parents are discipling their children and leading their youth spiritually, that orphans find homes, that widows are cared for, that the forgotten and marginalized are found and belong, that there are incredible celebrations where people from all walks of life, color, and background come together to share in communion, witness baptisms, that they come together to sing to God and glorify God and pray for one another and pray for the world and to spur one another on to love and good works, but it's not divided up into all these little sections. It's one body with one purpose, together, heart and soul, doing these things, that people are delivered from drugs, pornography, other addictions, that these things are diminished because people no longer need to numb themselves to the world because they found fullness and acceptance in Jesus Christ and the body, his church, that people value others above themselves, not looking to their own interests, but to the interest of others, that people begin to use the things that God has blessed them with, like homes and vehicles and boats, as tools to reach others with the gospel, that Christians begin to use their skills to invest in areas of the community because they are so compelled by God's love that they want to gain influence that opens doors for other people to know Jesus. I might not make it through this. I'm about to pass out. The geographical areas are being transformed. These areas that were in darkness are liberated from generational sin and spiritual poverty to live in the light of Christ. That one home at a time, one home at a time, that Bullock County, Southeast Georgia, the Southern US, the 50 states, and the world are transformed by the truth of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That people begin to learn to discern God's voice and are led to areas in their own communities and even around the world where they make significant investments of time and energy to transform Jesus geographical areas with the gospel because after all, God didn't just love souls. God loved the whole world. I ain't done yet. That many people begin to find their greatest joy in seeing others raised up to be sent out in the world in the power of the Holy Spirit for the mission of God. That love begins to overtake hate. That faith begins to overcome fear. And service begins to replace selfishness. That pockets of believers scatter across our area, the nation, and the world, investing, declaring, and demonstrating the love of Jesus. Jesus and his gospel of good news. That sounds like a 2020 campaign speech, except better than the ones we hear. But this is, this is really, it's just a picture of the church being the church. It's just the church being the church. And here's the thing I would say. If that sounds like a pipe dream to you, then you don't know the God I know. 
Because every bit of this is possible. Every single bit of this is possible. Not just in Bullock County, but around the world. If not, God would not have called us to these things. God would not have said, I give you authority in heaven and on earth. Now go do these things. Preach the gospel. Teach them. Teach them to be obedient to everything I've taught you. If not, we wouldn't see entire cities like Ephesus in the book of Acts that were transformed. We wouldn't see places like I believe it was Thessalonica where the people were threatened because they said these people have turned the whole world upside down. If you go through the book of Acts and you look at the different um, missionary journeys of Paul, and I hate to even call them the missionary journeys of Paul. That's what history and the Bible calls them. But honestly, um, or Bible scholars call them. But honestly, Paul never did these things by himself. There were always people with Paul. There were these teams of people going out and they were going throughout the world, the known world at that time. And if you go and you just, just make a list. I did this this week. I should have brought it with me. I made a list of all the cities that were impacted by Paul and his team of people. And there must have been 12 or 15 that are specifically mentioned, not the others that aren't accounted for in scripture. Places like Iconium and Derb and Lystra, Philippi, Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, Colossae. All of these places that were impacted by Paul's ministry. You know how long Paul's ministry lasted? 30 years. In 30 years, the entire known world was evangelized by one man walking, just walking. Didn't have cars, didn't have planes, didn't have social media, didn't have internet, didn't even have the Bible that they could hold in their hand. They didn't have any of that. And yet in 30 years, one man with a team of people goes around the world and all these different people are splintering off from the church and they're going, Apollos, Barnabas, Paul. All these different people are going out. And the world is being transformed in 30 years and they had nothing like we have. When I think about the life of Paul and Barnabas and Apollos and these men who, and women who are going and they're doing all these incredible things, you think about Aquila and Priscilla, this couple who, they were tent makers, but they were used, I mean, they were tent makers, but they were so significant, they're in here. And I think about this and I'm like, how incredible. And then I think about this, what am I doing? And today, I want us to look at this because we read about this church um, in the Bible. It's called Antioch. And I believe Antioch is an incredible pattern for what God desires the church to be. Um, see, there's a design that God has for the church, and I believe God desires his church um, to, to have a certain design to accomplish his purposes to function within the form he's given us and to function out of the form he's given us as the church and to recognize again the power of God as his body. And this is what I believe, that there are three things we see with the church in Antioch. One of them we talked somewhat about last week, and that's this, that the church in Antioch, in, in it there was a declaration and a demonstration of the gospel. 
There was a declaration and a demonstration of the gospel. So we see where the gospel was preached and proclaimed. We see where many people came to faith, that those people became a community. And we know from other places, and we'll look at some of these in a minute, we know from other places that this wasn't just some dead little community of believers. This place was thriving. They were being the church. And so there was not just a declaration, but there was a demonstration of the body of Christ. There was this demonstration of the fact that we live in proximity to God. And there was a demonstration of the fact that we even love to live in proximity with each other as we demonstrate the love of God in the way we love each other. And so we we see this in the Bible. Um, we, We read it just a minute ago in 22 through Uh, 26. Look over in Acts 15. Just flip over a little bit. Acts 15. In verse 35, it says here, and we're going to look at some of these in just a minute, but that Paul and Barnabas, they remained in Antioch. This is after the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas and a team of people went on, that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. And so this is a thriving community. This is something that is taking place where they're demonstrating, they're declaring. Paul and Barnabas and others are teaching God's word. They're declaring the word. The word is being demonstrated um, in the life of believers. Um, The second thing that we see is this, that there was equipping and encouraging. There was equipping and there was encouraging. Um, We talked about the encouraging aspect last week when we talked about proximity to one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, when we talked about how the author of Hebrews instructs us not um, not to stop gathering together, not to fall away from the fellowship, but to gather so we can encourage one another, can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so we see this equipping and encouraging aspect is happening in Antioch as well. Today, we're going to actually begin to focus on the equipping side. That's what this focus will be on. The last one, though, is this, the third thing. So uh, we've got a, a declaration and a demonstration. We've got an equipping and encouraging. And then the third part of what we see in Antioch is a setting apart and ascending. We'll talk about this next week, a setting apart and ascending. But today, as I said, we're going to talk about equipping and we're going to talk about encouraging. And when we look at equipping in the Bible, I want you to see this, that there are three parts to equipping. There, there are three parts to being made whole, to be equipped for the work of God. Um, these three things we're going to talk about and give credit where credit's due. This was sparked by reading a book by, the name, um, by a, ma- a man who wrote the book. His name was Greg Ogden, there, giving him credit. So these things were sparked by reading this book that he wrote where he was talking about um, equipping. And he, he took the Greek word for equipping and he looked at the Greek Old Testament, the Greek New Testament, and basically found where um, all the ways that this word for equip was used, all those ways fell into three different categories. And those are the categories that we're gonna talk about today. The first one then is called mending and repairing. 
If we're gonna be equipped people, if we wanna see those things happen that we talked about at the very beginning, then that means we need to be a people who are equipped and we need to be a people who are equipped to equip others. The first part of that that has to happen is there needs to be a mending and a repairing that takes place. What do I mean by mending and repairing? I mean being made whole from a standpoint of what has been going wrong in my thinking begins to be restored. It begins to be repaired. It begins to be mended. And let me show you what I mean by that. Um, This is what happens to us in our life. This is what happens to us in our life is that we are born, we begin to have experiences. Experience becomes my teacher. The things I experience from my caregivers, from um, things that happened to me in my life, all of these different things, that becomes my teacher. What I've learned then becomes what's true. Unless somebody's pouring the word of God into my life and I really begin to understand that the word of God is true, then the only thing that can inform what is true in my life then is what I experience. There's no other place for truth to come from other than what people are telling me, what I'm experiencing in life, what I experience from my parents, primary caregivers, coaches, whatever it might be. Those are the things I learn. What is true then becomes my lens. So now I've got this truth and everything I see comes through this lens. But what happens is that lens becomes my worldview, how I see God, myself, others, and my purpose. Y'all follow that all right so far? So ultimately, experience teaches me truth, truth becomes my lens, and that experience that I have then creates my worldview, that how I see God, myself, others, and my purpose. Now, we've all had some jacked up experiences in our life that have taught us things that we see as true that are not true that are not true according to God's word. In fact, much of our truth is not true, it's opinion. It's things that happen, it's experientially true, it may have happened, but it's taught us things that are not true about God, ourselves, others, and our purpose. Now, here's why this is important, guys, look. It's important because my worldview, how I see God, myself, others, and my purpose, My worldview determines how I think, determines my way of thinking, interpreting things around me. How I think determines the decisions I make, right? How I think ultimately determines the decisions I make and the decisions I make ultimately determines how I live my life, how I live my life in relation to God, how I live my life um, in relating to myself, how I live my life in relating to others and how I live my life or the purpose I live it for. And so my worldview controls how I think, how I think controls the decisions I make, the decisions I make then controls how I live my life. I seriously almost did like that to try to change it. Here's what the world tells us is true. The world tells us that everything starts with me, that it's all on me. You know why we feel so much pressure? Because it's all on me. Everything starts with me and everything is determined by my performance in the world. And if I'm successful enough, if I live good enough, if I, if I um, do well enough in life, if I make enough money, have a big enough house, have the right wife, spouse, kids, if I, if I have um, all of this standing in, in the world, then 
I'm a success, and, and, but my success or my failure in my performance determines my value and worth. So I spend my life in this struggle of trying to attain value and worth because my value and worth ultimately determines my acceptance. Then my acceptance actually determines my identity. So if all of this gets jacked up by the experiences I've had in the world, what I begin to do is I begin to live my life for the acceptance of others, not God, so that I feel like I'm accepted by God, myself, and other people. And whatever I ultimately find acceptance in will ultimately become my identity. Whatever, listen, whatever I find acceptance in will ultimately become the thing that I worship. They'll lose everybody. The thing, so, so listen, when this is out of whack, when we begin to believe that this is true and not that the gospel is true, that my value and worth is inherently given to me in Christ, then this is how I begin to live my life because this is how I think things work. The gospel, when we hear it, it's almost like it's too good of good news. It's too good to be true. That you mean, I'm not defined by my past mistakes. I'm not defined by that mistake I made in business. I'm not defined by that divorce. I'm not defined by this wayward child. I'm not defined by those things now that I'm in Christ. How can that be true? Because I certainly in myself don't feel like I have value and worth. But the reality is that my value and worth is not found in my success or failure or who accepts me. My value and worth is found in Christ. But we don't think that way. We strive and we fight for success and value instead of living out of the value that we have in Christ. Now don't go home and tell your wife, Brandon told me it don't matter what you think. That ain't what I'm saying. Now, I've had somebody do that before. That I'm sharing some of this with them and they're trying to help them in their marriage and they go home and they're like, well, it don't matter what you think anyway. Brandon told me I don't care what you think. That's not it. Because ultimately, when we begin to find ourselves in Christ and our thinking begins to be restored, it begins to be mended from what we see in the world around us. What ultimately begins to happen is I begin to live out the life that Jesus calls us to live. Why is that so? Because my worldview changes, how I think changes, the decisions I make changes, so how I live my life changes. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 12, one and two, that we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God in view of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's given to us. We should offer ourselves and our minds should be renewed. We shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but our minds should be renewed to think differently, to not go along with what the world teaches. The second area of equipping is a biblical foundation. It's a biblical foundation. A foundation is important. If you don't have a good foundation, your house falls over, right? Well, that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. Listen to Matthew chapter seven. It's not going to be up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or just follow along as I read. It says, as Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain comes, came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It's the importance of a foundation. What is Jesus saying is the solid foundation, his words, Jesus' words. Jesus was the word made flesh. He is the embodiment of God's word and God's truth. He has given us this truth to build our lives upon um, and, and to realize that this is our sure foundation. We need to have a biblical foundation if we're going to be able to be equipped to be complete in who God's called us to be and to be in the function that he's called us to be. Another place that we see this is in Ephesians chapter two, verse uh, 19 and 20. It says, consequently, because of the gospel, in other words, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. What's he telling us? The foundation of the apostles and prophets, the word of God that's been given. Jesus himself as the cornerstone that gives it its strength and integrity. But the word of God given through the apostles and the prophets is what the church is built upon. We build up upon that. And so we have to recognize this. There is a necessity of a biblical foundation. What I want you to see in this though is that it's not just about knowledge. It's about knowing. It's experiential. We talked for months about the foundation cracks. Everybody remember that? Some of y'all have nightmares about them, right? Like, no, don't show that slide again. But we talked about cracks in the foundation of growing and knowing God, growing in the fullness of Christ, growing in the body of Christ, and then growing the kingdom of God. Those four areas, knowing God, fullness in Christ, body of Christ and kingdom of God are areas that our lives have to be shored up by the word of God. But it's not just to know the word, it's to know God. It's, it's so that again, remember those things, my worldview of knowing who God is, who am I, how do I relate to others and my purpose? It deals with those things, a biblical foundation of who God is, who I am, how I relate to others and the relationship of other people in my life and the purpose God has called me to. I need a biblical foundation to build upon. The mending and restoring begins to happen as God's truth replaces what my experience has taught me. And then it's shored up by the word of God as I begin to see more clearly even through scripture and I begin to live this out out and walk this out in my life and I see how faithful God is through his word and I begin to recognize more of who he is, who I am, who others are and how I'm to relate with people and my purpose in life. But it's not just about knowing or knowledge, it's about knowing, it's about experiencing which goes to the third part which is training or engaging. One of the things that I've realized in the church world this has been something that's really become more clear to me over the last couple of years, is that there's a huge gap. Y'all listen, there's a huge gap between what we know and what we've been taught and what we've experienced. Huge gap. So that, think about this, just this one example. How many of you have been in church for a little while? It's okay if you haven't, glad you're here too. I mean, that's, that's awesome. How many of you have ever heard a message on how important it is to share your faith if you've been in church for a little while? Raise your hand. How many of you have heard a message on how to share your faith if you've been in church for a little while? Hey, right? Now, we've heard those messages. 
It's important how to do it. But is there not still a huge gap between I should do it, I've been told how to do it, and I've experienced sharing my faith? Is that not a huge gap? So I can have my mind mended and restored to where I see like my purpose on earth is to share the gospel of Jesus, the love of Christ with people. I can have my, my, my biblical foundation laid where I understand that there is truth, that that is the gospel. I understand the gospel. I have a pretty solid biblical foundation. The problem then becomes for me though that I've got this, this understanding, I've got this foundation, but I've got no experience. And that is a pretty big gap for me to jump. Right? I mean, I remember I shared this before. The first time or so I shared my faith with people after I got saved, I had a passion to do it. But I would literally, I would dream about it at night. I'd wake up sweating because I was like, I want to do it. I'm so scared. And so there's this big gap in knowing I should and even knowing how and taking that big step to actually experience it. Training and engaging is what that last part of this is about. It's about putting an experience with the truth that we know. And so one of the things that uh, we started doing is this thing we did it last month. It was the first three we've done called Closing the Gap. And where it came to me, I was thinking about how many of you have ever driven a manual shift, a stick shift, truck or, or car? You've driven those? You're not 16. How have you done that? Oh, you did. Okay, never mind. Okay, good. I'm just checking Eric and Vivian. I'm just making sure. All right. So, um, but, but I remember when I was about 10, my dad taught me how to drive a stick shift. We lived out in the country, and so he's like, come here, boy, you need to learn how to do this. So he was telling me about it. He told me, he's like, look, you know, just put your foot on the clutch, let off the clutch. You're going to feel the truck start to pull a little bit. When it does, give it a little bit of gas. And, and as you let off more, give it a little more gas and boom, right? It didn't go like that. If you've ever driven one and you began to learn how to drive one, you know how it goes. You start letting off the clutch, you start giving it a little gas. And one of two things happens. It's either like, whoa, right? Because you didn't let off the clutch fast enough and gave it too much gas. Or it's like, and it just stops. Y'all laughing because of all my fat jiggle. That's what y'all are laughing about. I know, I know. It's okay. I'm old. But, but it's like, right? And you just, it just stops. And so here's, here's the, the, one of the best examples I could give you. My dad could tell me how to do it. He could tell me why to do it. He could do all of those things. But listen, until I sat in the driver's seat, and I put one foot on the clutch and one foot on the gas, and I actually began to feel that happen, and I experienced like it instead of like like that. I never could really get it. And so we need these experiences. I want to show you real quick a video that goes along with this that that from from somebody that we did this with last year that came to one of these closing the gap. Sessions. We're going to do some more of these towards the end of this month. I believe these are incredibly important. They're incredibly scary for me because, like, I can't make these things happen. This is like between you and God. This is really on, like, this is a God thing. But I want you to hear kind of some of the experiences or a experience from one of these. Uh, I signed up to 
um, join the Closing the Gap session of experiencing God through His Word. Um, for me, reading His Word has always been um, a struggle for me. Um, Half-jokingly, I tell people that I'm borderline illiterate, but there's there's a lot of truth to that. Literature and, and reading comprehension is, is not a strong point for me. Um, I, I love prayer, I love spending time with God, but sometimes as I read, I just, I don't understand. The pieces don't fit, they don't go together. Um, during this session, um, the leader, the instructor of the group, Brandon, he asked any volunteers to read. And out of the ordinary, completely atypical of myself, I volunteered to read um, out loud in a, in a small group of strangers. Um, didn't really understand what I was reading, but I read it. Um, and I say I say this, in the setting, you, you grow, you get to a point where your fears are removed and your focus is on you and your relationship with God. One of the things I really learned was reading God's Word isn't as hard as I have made it out to be. Um, I really enjoyed that in this session we were able to read God's Word together. As a group, we broke it down together. And leaving that group, I was able to take away, Josh, this is how you can read the Word and not be fearful of what you comprehend or don't comprehend. Um, hearing other people's take um, what they take away from a verse, how they hear God through His Word was also encouraging. Um, as we read through the, a, a book of the Bible, you know, at the end we mentioned different, different parts that spoke out to us. Um, it was encouraging to see different people have the same um, takeaway as me. It was also encouraging to see people have multiple different takeaways than I. Any of you that may be like me or may not be like me that uh, struggle with with reading, whether it be desire, whether it be time, whether it be reading comprehension. Um, I think the Closing the Gap session of, of hearing God through His Word would, would be um, fantastic. So it's not complicated. Like what we do in there is it's not complicated. But the whole point of it is to be able to learn and begin to practice putting ourselves in a position like for this one it was about reading God's word putting myself in a position where I can hear God speak to me through his word that's what it's all about we'll do one on hearing God and experiencing God through his word experiencing God's voice and experiencing fullness in Christ and, and I would encourage you to sign up for these. Look, I learn things through it. I, I experience things through it too. But, but it's something that would be incredible for all of us to be a part of. Um, especially like Josh said, if some of these areas of hearing God's voice or, or hearing God speak through his word, experiencing God's word or um, experiencing fullness in Christ, like being solid in who we are in Christ, not being... Um, having my identity given to me by the world around me, but living in the fullness that Jesus wants me to, then I would encourage you to sign up. We limit the number of people in these because of the nature of what we're doing um, to 15 or 25, depending on the class. But I would encourage you to be a part of one of these. We need to close this gap, okay? We need to close the gap between what we know and the God that we should and we can and should experience. And so I want to encourage you with that, with this part of this equipping, the training, and the engaging. So where does this happen? Where, where does this equipping happen for us at Connection Church? Where does it happen as far as the mending and restoring, as far as um, the biblical foundation, as far as training and engaging? Here at our church, we've always done four things. One is Sunday morning. Another one is connect groups. 
Another one is kids and students. Another one is missions and outreach. And so these four things are the four things we've always focused on. The primary place that I believe this will happen will be in our connect groups for adults, in our kids and student ministry, um, to a degree for our kids and students. But where we're going and what I believe God's design is for the church is that the parents become equipped in this so they can then equip their children. That's God's design. Not that we do it here, but that we do it at home. And so those closing the gap experiences, things like that will supplement connect groups. But connect groups are that primary place that we focus. Another thing that we're doing and we'll be kicking back up this fall is the Connection Equipping Academy. When the pandemic happened, we put some stuff out on video um, real quick to try to give people something to do at home, right? To try to use that time in a good way. We'll revamp that and we'll be doing it in person. Listen out for that, another opportunity. And then don't forget this, guys. You remember the DIY thing we did a while back? Some of you are here for this, the DIY, do it yourself. You can do this. I don't know how we became so convinced as believers that we can't read the Bible, that we can't hear God. We can't, we can't, we can't. We can do this. So pick one of these up. These are at next step. Pick these up. It'll help walk you through reading the Bible, hearing God's voice through the scripture, all of these things, these um, still being used in connect groups. And so grab one of those and begin to use it. But I wanna encourage you guys, listen, let's don't settle for, for just coming in and going out, coming in and going out, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's connect group, whatever it might be. Listen, God desires to equip us. God desires that we would be um, equipped to one, equip others, or two, be sent into the world with a team of people like Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and, and all these others, Luke, all these other people that we read about in scripture. God still desires to send teams of people into the world to begin to transform entire communities entire areas, entire nations with the gospel. And so we're going to press into this. This is what one of the things we're going to be about is being an equipping church, laser focused on equipping people to do God's work in the world, not depending on a pastor, but being equipped to carry this into your home and into the community. I want to pray for us. And then, um, will be dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for its truth, God, for this incredible plan you've called us to, God. God, that we would be equipped, God, by you, by, by your word, through each other, Lord, that we would be equipped, God, to carry out Jesus's work, a continuation of the movement he began, God, that this continues today, that we get to be a part of this, Lord. So God, I thank you for that. I pray you'll stir each one of our hearts, Lord. Whether it's getting into a connect group, Lord, stir our hearts or one of these close the gap things, God, or just picking up our Bible with the DIY or whatever it may be, God, that we would begin to press into you and that our minds would be mended and restored and repaired. That a biblical foundation would be sure under our feet and that, God, we would be trained to engage the people around us, in our home, in our community, in the world, so that your purpose and plan for the church would come to fruition, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters of the sea 
God, covered the sea, Lord. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good week. See you next week.